Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to James chapter 4. We'll be in verse 13 through 17 this morning. August 24th, 2022, about 7.30 a.m. Do you remember the mist that hung over your neighborhood on that morning? Neither do I. Let's read together from James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Two quotes from two different characters, types of people. Verse 13, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. That is one kind of person. A second quote, verse 15, from those who say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Uh, that first quote from a boastful, arrogant, and evil, divided heart. Uh, that second quote from a heart humbled and healed and made whole by the grace of God. An alarming contrast that forces us to consider our relationship with God. James is a man with a pen who draws contrast after contrast, and we are confronted with one of these contrasts again. Evil. That word, let's just say, jumped out at me in my study this week in part because of what's happening on the other side of the world. One headline, where evil began, inside lair where Hamas terrorists plotted Israel atrocity with 3D model and grenades yards from kids' bedroom. I'm glad we're using that word evil in our headlines for Hamas and that great wickedness. But this, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Boastful, arrogant, and evil, James says. So either I figure I'm going to have to rethink what I mean by evil, 
or I'm going to have to rethink how I think and talk about what I'm doing today and tomorrow and where I'm going and what I expect to happen, or perhaps both. And today I pray this is a refresher for many, but perhaps for some it is a confrontation with the living God of the sort that will draw you out of darkness and into this sovereign God's marvelous light. For it matters for eternity how we talk about tomorrow. It matters in heaven how we talk about the here and the now. There is either a God in heaven over us, or there is no one ultimately over us. Evil. This is the word James has used a few times before, which we will explore. If the Lord wills. That's another phrase that stands out from this paragraph to me. Another familiar phrase we can give credit to James for. It's his phrase. Oh, he gets it from his brother Jesus. Father, if you will, your will be done. He's not the first. But, but right here at the front of a sentence about, about what's going to happen here or, or there, that's, that's James's. We can thank him for that. He's pondered his brother's prayer and he's, he's helped us out here with some instruction. It's a familiar phrase that we can give credit to James for. It's also a, a misused phrase. can be like any string of four words. Um, a pious mantra, something we throw about to make our uh, speech sound and feel a little more spiritual and godly. Maybe we treat it as a magic formula, actually just a way of blessing our own wills. Uh, if the Lord wills. Hopefully that will mean I can do what I want. <laughs> or maybe a, a way of getting out of a responsibility. I do have a memory. I must have been a Christian under a year. Um, my mom, well, I had a math exam. Sorry, Matt Jackson. Um, I had a math exam coming up, and uh, I don't remember the exact deal, but... Maybe I wasn't studying. Maybe I didn't want to. Maybe there was something else I wanted to do. And uh, I said, listen, Mom, if, if God wills, I'll get a good grade. <laughs> so I'd, I'd pick this up in the ether of the church. I'd heard it. Sounded good to me. Still needed to work out a theology of human responsibility with the sovereignty of God. And they are both here, are they not? Right In the same verses, if the Lord wills, apparently he has something to do about it, ultimately something to do about it, about your life, and about this or that. You remember Mad Libs? It may not be a thing anymore. It grew up and there'd be this little uh, notepad and you'd flip it over and then it would have a story with all these blanks and you could fill in the blanks. And it would make for a very different story. Um, well, this is a little bit of a, a Mad Lib. If, we, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. Okay, so fill in the blank. 
And it's not that it makes for a totally different story, it's that this or that is irrelevant to the point. Uh, Whatever it is that you plan to do, you will not do it, you will not live if the Lord does not will it. There is a doing of this and of that. There is a planning. We are responsible. And the Lord stands behind it all. Not as one responsible for our responsible actions, certainly our evil actions, but as one who, in a mysterious, yes, but real and scripturally revealed way, who is behind, over, under, and sovereign over every minute and inch of the world and move that you or I make. Fight James on that one. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it's evil to say otherwise. Our God is sovereign in the heavens and he is not aloof to any space in his universe and what's going on there or any moment in time. He is way bigger than you thought when you walked in, even if you had a big vision of God. And he will get bigger and bigger and bigger to us for all eternity. There is plenty of him for us to explore. So don't try to figure all of this out at the moment. Live in that tension. But the tension is right there on the page, dare I say, every single page of the Bible. Thank God he is not as small as us. And thank God he is not so small as to be figured out and explained comprehensively with human words, even if he can be described accurately with human words as we do this morning. If the Lord wills. We'll give James credit for that familiar phrase. It is often misused. Often enough, it's, it's neglected, though. I don't hear you all misusing this personally, though I have misused it, and we should be ready to correct each other when we throw it around uh, uh, as if to use the Lord's name in vain. I suppose it would be possible to do that. No, I think mostly it's just neglected. And you're not going to hear me say this morning that we better say this all the time. I don't think that's right. Um, James, the apostles, Paul in writing, his letters are not always qualifying every comment about any move or strategy with this four-letter phrase. But here and there, yes, they use it. And here and there we should use it. But importantly, it's not about the words this morning. It's about the worldview. It's about your view of the world that acknowledges God in all things. It flows to and from our prayers, our way of seeing things that will come out in more ways than just this phrase. But periodically, oh, it's good, especially with the big things and with many of the small things we really ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Well, let's start where James starts, right in verse 13. We're going to look this morning at some presumptuous merchants. Uh, We're going to consider the properties of mist, and then we're going to talk about God's will for you and me today. Okay, first, the presumption of merchants. A good set of plans except for one thing. 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year here, the year there, excuse me, and trade and make a profit. All right, so who are these people he is calling to, those who say this? Well, crazy good planners, it seems to me. I mean, if you didn't know where was James was going, you'd actually think this is kind of a mundane thing to say, even a good thing to say. Planning's not a bad thing per se. It really, really isn't. In fact, dads should train their children and commend good planning and the carrying out of plans or working on that ourselves. Um, Solomon would commend it. Uh, he commended the ant. The ant makes preparations and gets about the plans and all of that. And we're to look at the ant and imitate the ant. It's good and biblical to make, make a plan. I'm grateful for, for plans and planners. And these are pretty good planners. So they've considered uh, the time, the calendar, uh, today or tomorrow. Now, it's not that they're indecisive. This is a theoretical statement. He's saying whether you're saying today or whether you're saying tomorrow, but follow me here. He's talking about merchants who are making plans for today and also making plans for tomorrow. Uh, the time is considered. The place, we will go into such and such a town. Uh, there's, a, there's a strategic place. We'll spend a year. There's an investment that will be made, an amount of time with people and resources there to trade. So there's assets, a consideration of supply and demand, uh, a prediction of outcomes, no doubt, based on their uh, knowledge of the, of the markets. We'll, we'll trade there and we'll make a profit. Or they expect to make a profit or they wouldn't go there and spend a whole, whole year. Uh, they, know where the trading, they know where the trading is good. I appreciate some decisiveness in this little, little quote. Uh, today or tomorrow, we will go. Um, some folks are great at plans and they never happen. Now, we can all relate with that. Well, we need people of action. And these are people of plans and of action and follow through. And presumably, they've had a good bit of success. So James is writing to a church where there's quite a few fairly wealthy merchants. Um, and he's writing to them now concerning concerning their, their plans. All right, so what's wrong with that? Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. A key word, know, there. Now you think, James, you must be the kind of person who will never accomplish anything. Uh, paralyzed by the fact that he does not have all of the facts, does not know the future perfectly, the markets perfectly, things could change. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, and he'll never make anything or trade anything, for he cannot decide what to do. Uh, that's not what James is talking about. Uh, that word, no. He's talking to people who are really living like this is all in their hands like their destiny is decided. They've decided their days. They've mapped it out. I have this memory of, uh, I ought to Google around to see if I can find this giant chart. Um, visiting with uh, 
a man, I was in college, an executive at the school, and um, we're just talking about planning and life. And You know, you're on the precipice of everything uh, and when you're in college. It's kind of scary. He it's just, it reaches into the drawer and, and unfolds this thing, and she keeps unfolding. It was like a giant arrow. My values, my skills, my passions, my opportunities. He had this whole thing filled out. He had to hold it like this. <laughs> and there's somewhere the Holy Spirit was in there. Um, whoa. Uh, I heard someone allude to this gentleman at some point as like a little over the top. And I'm like, I think I know what he's talking about. Maybe it wasn't just that. Maybe that played its way out into other things in, in meetings. Um, no flexibility with this guy. Um, I mean, he had a plan and it was going to happen. Wow, we ride the edge. We should all make plans. We should all make plans. And it's good he was talking about the Holy Spirit in there, and maybe my memory has you know, made the whole sheet a little larger. Um, that you get, the, you get the idea. No. It may be that technically, yeah, of course they, they know things can change, but in how they're talking... Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If there is never an acknowledgement of God, if he's not on your lips, if there's never an acknowledgement of the shortness of life, we'll get to that. If there's never an acknowledgement about his greatness and his majesty and his sovereignty, how do we not slide into taking credit for what unfolds today or tomorrow, of speaking about what happens out there in the marketplace and the profit that we bring home as following from our good decisions, and they were good decisions. But there's a, there's a fine line between not acknowledging God with our lips in this kind of way and then boasting with our lips and that line is so fine that not to acknowledge God is effectively to boast in oneself. Really, there's a straight line from failing to acknowledge God to taking credit for your own, for your own life. Well, James won't have any of this, will he? Let's talk now about the properties of mist. This, the secret to planning for your future. You know, you read those books, so there's a chapter, this, the secret to planning for your future, the, the five things. Here's one thing, just consider mist. It will keep you in your place. We often need to get everything in place, get our affairs in order, that's all very good. Let's make sure we know where we are in the order of the universe. He's going to do that for us. He asks, what is your life? Ouch. He's asking that, James, boldly of, of the prominent in the community and in the church, those who have built their life, those who have really something to show for themselves. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. And if you ask me, what is my life? I'm going to think about something that I've done. I mean, civilizations, you think of the Tower of Babel, that's one generation's answer. The Titanic was another generation's answer. A man on the moon is another generation's answer. The iPhone's another generation's answer. Uh, today it's the emoji. Super exciting. 
What is your life? James holds out mist. So let's consider the properties of mist. What is mist like? Joel Osteen never talks about mist when he preaches. Uh, James talks about, he talks about mist. It's his preferred image at the time. Uh, it's pastorally appropriate. Sometimes we need to hear, uh, brother or sister, you are made in the image of God. In other words, you are esteemed by God. You are made in his likeness. And, and then you can carry out uh, various applications and encouragements and comforts and, and a calling one up to that. Sometimes we just need to hear that we're like dust uh, or like mist. And some of us need to hear this today. Those of us who have not been speaking of the Lord in relationship to our, our plans as often as we should in one way or another need to hear that we're missed. So let's ponder, let's ponder mist for a moment. Three properties of mist. Mist is fragile. Uh, mist is super weak. It's super weak. Uh, there's no mascot mist. Uh, if there was, it would really be like the thing past the mist is scary. The mist is just between you and the scary thing. Um, mist is uh, weak. It's, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's small drops of water, so small that they float in the air. They don't even fall to the ground. That's how light they are. Weightless, basically, mist. So mist is it's fragile. Your life is fragile. Mist is fleeting. It's fleeting. It's there, and then it's gone. You, you pull out on your, your way to work in the morning, and there's some mist, and then it's gone. By the time you pull, even if you have a four-minute drive, the mist could well be gone. Go into the building, pop out ten minutes later, the mist is gone. It's just not there very, very long. It's fragile, and it's, it's fleeting. Isaiah has spoken this way to us concerning our lives, all flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So what is your life? It's like grass. It's like, it's like the wind. It's like the flower of the field. It's like mist. It's really there, but then it's gone. It's fleeting. And I'm glad we have more Bible than this. But if all we had was missed, we'd have to say it's also forgotten. As soon as it's gone, you don't remember it. Even if you have a beautiful picture of a day in which there was missed, you're not going to remember the date except for something else about that day. It's here and it's gone. It's fragile, it's fleeting, and quickly forgotten. Friends, our lives are not as durable as we think they are. We all need that reminder. They're not as durable as we think they are. And they're not as enduring as we feel like they are either. 
This whole matter of speaking of the Lord in our lives, I have found just in the course of life and being in the church that older saints tend to speak this way more frequently and sincerely. Now, I'll speak this way more from, we should say, exegesis. The, the Bible says it, I believe it, and it's true. And then there's speaking of it from experience. After often enough, you've said today or tomorrow, and it didn't happen. Oh, for a season, it went just as planned, and then it did not go as planned, big time. Have enough of that happen in your own life, in the life of your family, and eventually you throw your arms up. And while you may give yourself to plans responsibly, you just say from the bottom of your heart and a knowledge of the Lord, if the Lord wills, I will go here and there and do this, or I will do that. Our lives are not as durable or enduring as we might like to think. And so this image of mist humbles us, doesn't it? But James is not about leaving us hopeless. I mean, if really we are entirely like mist, then there really isn't hope for us. We're humbled, and that's just it. But while we are like mist, our lives, our lives are not without meaning. So he moves right on. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and we will do this, or we will do that. Now, a word here about uh, the will of God. Often when we speak about God's will, I'm going to speak in a way that might be memorable and a little condescending, but just hear it for all of us, I mean for it to stick. We mean it in terms of what we might call like his petty will. Uh, his will in, in the things, like in the this or the that. It's petty, because he... he James isn't even, James is saying, whatever you put, what, what today, tomorrow, here, there, this or that town, uh, whether you're going to do this or that, whatever, whatever you're going to do. So often when we speak about God's will and wanting to know God's will, we're, we're right in those details, we're right in the blanks. But he like left them blank for you. It's not that he's not involved. There's what we could say is his providential will and his prescriptive will. His prescriptive will, Paul's words to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, men, women, young men, young women, husbands, wives, everyone in the room, this is the will of God for you to abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, Pray for God to deliver you from temptation, but know the temptation comes from within you, and by your own desires you're lured and dragged away, and you really don't need to pray about whether those desires that are luring and dragging you away are really His will for you or not. Uh, he's prescribed for you uh, that you would be holy and pure and that you would abstain from sexual immorality. And it would be his will for you to confess that sin to him and to another. And if you need help, to ask him for help in these things. 
A little later in his letter to 1 Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church, give thanks in all circumstances. That can be just as hard. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So give thanks in all circumstances. Do you get together with a group of men on Thursday mornings at a coffee shop? Um, Do you get together with a group of ladies uh, midweek to pray? There's all kinds of reasons to get together. Accountability is one. What about like a thankfulness group? We have commands like this. The book of Colossians is threaded through with exhortations to give thanks to God. It is very difficult to give thanks to God in all circumstances. How appropriate is it for Christians, members of the church, to get together and to verbalize the good gifts that God has given them and to give thanks to Him even in the midst of trial. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. To give verbal expression and thanks to God for His goodness to us in the good and in the hard. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. You don't have to ask God whether or not you should be thankful in a circumstance. It is appropriate to be thankful to Him. Or in 1 Peter, Peter's first letter. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's it's God's will that that we do good. And this is why When we speak about God's will, it's good for us to just speak in terms of Scripture. I know what your will is for me. Not my will, but your will be done. Now my will be done. That's that's a submission to God. Now moving to His providential will. This right here, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So which is it? I don't know. Uh, James is not prescribing that we halt all activity until it is revealed to us. No, rather, we're to get about our plans and about our work informed by the Word of God and then to consider whatever takes place as taking place within and under the providential rule and will of God, His decreed will, we could say. So three Ps, you know, you have the petty will, these things in the blanks, but then His prescriptive will and His providential will. Maybe that's a helpful way to divide the matter. And speaking in, in terms of his providential will, here's the Apostle Paul, but, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. He desired to return. It would be his intent. But if he is blocked for any particular reason, it would be, from his consideration, God's decreed will. And I will come to you soon, he writes to the Corinthians, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. If the Lord wills, he will make it to Corinth. He certainly intends to, and he could get, he could get blocked. A good and biblical qualification. Paul's doing example exactly what uh, James is telling us to do, to do here. In this matter of acknowledging God in our circumstances and in our plans, is the difference between doing the right thing and an, an evil thing, really, to, to put it that sharply, as, Pete, as uh, James does, as it is you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting, 
is evil. So think about Adam in the garden. You know, they're eating, she's eating, he's watching, he takes and eats. They've got plans and dreams. Beyond that eating, that exclude God, for he's spoken clearly concerning the tree and obedience. In Romans chapter 1, we're told in different terms what went wrong with humanity and how we got where we are. We traded the glory of the immortal God for, for the glory of creatures, the created things. We failed to give thanks to God. That's one way to summarize what's wrong with the universe and the world. Humans and Adam failed to give thanks to God, failed to acknowledge God. In our, and really this is, and we talk about Hamas and where evil began and, and that room next to a kid's bedroom where they're plotting. There's a, there's a place where all evil begins. And remember that James only a, a, a page ago has said, when you, when you uh, slander or speak evil against a brother, you're speaking evil against the law. And speaking evil against the law, you're speaking evil against the lawgiver. And judge, oof, he just follows it all the way up. You murder one another, James has said. There's a, there's a line from, from hateful thoughts to, to murder. And there's a line from this life, from, from plans that are, that are made in life without reference to God that sound innocent enough that might even produce a profit and might even produce a nice house and might even produce a nice life for your kids. There's a line from that life in which those plans are designed without respect to God to hell itself, where there is no God. This is why he's saying this boasting is evil. So let me, with James's words, shock you into speaking about the Lord in your prayers to God and among your friends in our church and among family as you talk about the day and the days to come and the plans that you hope to unfold. Not to be paranoid that you're getting the formula in the right place in every sentence where it needs to be, but you know what I mean and you're reasonable people. Do you speak with reference to God and imagine your days with reference to God? Or is it really just you? Are you really God of your life? Do you basically know what's going to happen? Have you planned it out? Now let us say, instead, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. Okay, so now, third, you know what to do. You know, you know what to do. Notice verse 17 here. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Ever heard that before? Like, oh, I saw that piece of trash on the garage floor. And I pulled out anyways. Um, oh, um, I should have helped that person. Oh, I should have sent that email sooner. Oh, but I would, you know, whatever reason. Fill in the blank here. We tend to think of almost any sin of omission, and there are sins of omission, things we ought to have done. But what does James have in mind here? This is one of those verses. He said it for a reason. He said it right there. And you've learned, as we've learned in this series, James is not, as he's said to be, uh, writing a collection of proverbial-like wisdom insights for life. 
No, the passage before about judging and this passage about presumption regarding the future and next week's passage regarding presumption to wealth, all those go together as manifestations of pride in that church flowing from James's exhortation to humble ourselves so that he will exalt us for God is against the proud but he gives grace to the humble. All of this is a provocation for us to humble ourselves so that we might receive Grace, in verse 17, has something to do with that. And something to do with what's happening right here. What's the right thing to do? Well, it's to acknowledge God in our lives. For it matters for eternity how we talk about tomorrow. And it matters in heaven how we talk about the here and the now. Acknowledging the Lord in all our plans and dealings. So let us be a church, a body who acknowledges its head. Let us be a bride, now to use James's own imagery, that lives as one married. Remember he called them adulterous people, friends of the world? No, let us be a bride who lives as one married to her husband. Christ. Let us receive this confrontation, though, as more than a confrontation, but a reason for comfort. For we know that our lives are not in our hands. They are not random. They are not merely fleeting. They are certainly not forgotten by Him. Let us receive this confrontation as comfort and a reason for great courage. For we have nothing to fear, O anxious one. For your father knows the hairs on your head, and no bird falls to the ground unless he wills it. And let us receive this confrontation as a caution, remembering that fine line between failing to acknowledge the Lord in our, our days and then boasting as those who determine our days. The Lord is kind to speak to us this way, and it is a comfort for us, it is a reason for courage, and it is a reason for caution. It matters for eternity how we talk about tomorrow. And it also matters for time how we talk about tomorrow. For remember, God opposes the proud, And it is a very proud thing to go about life, planning for work, planning for school, planning for the next day, without thinking on him and acknowledging him. He opposes the proud, but not only later, but right now, he gives grace to the humble. So let us lay hold of that grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess how fleeting we are as vapor. But we also confess by your very word how valuable we are to you as those who bear your image. And in your great glory, you have seen not to oppose us, but to pursue us in the person of your Son who came for us 
And there at his cross were surrounded, he was surrounded by Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And yet they did whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place, your scriptures says. And so even as we think on the cross, Father, we pray as those who are responsible for our own actions and the plans that we make. And we pray to be those who make wise plans and who get about them for our children's sake, for our family's sake, for our neighbor's sake. And yet we pray for help as well. And we pray for the mercy that you would show us to make us a people that humbles ourselves with a simple acknowledgement that we don't do anything apart from your will. For no bird falls to the ground unless you say so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.